Hey, good morning. I'm Pastor Evan. Thanks for being here. Um, I do want to just point out one quick thing before we dive in. Thank you. Um, actually, two things now. Uh, thank you to Jim and uh, David and Peter for that finance update as well. Really appreciate you guys taking time out of your Sunday to do that and uh, prepare that for us. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, I just want to challenge you. Uh, if you came in today, you may receive one of these or you can grab one of these on your way out. It's an invitation card. Uh, just to challenge you to invite your friends and neighbors to Christmas Eve. On the back actually is the Christmas Eve service and time. Uh, this is a great time of year where people are actually more open to spiritual things, right? They're turning on, you know, what used to be called B101. I forget what it's called now, but B101, and all of a sudden they're singing songs about Jesus. I remember one time I was in Disney World at Christmas time, and Disney World's singing about Jesus. So you know if Disney World's singing about Jesus, things have really changed in that, in that time of year. So um, it's really important. Invite your friends and family to that. We're really looking forward to that. And uh, Third Reform does a great job with music, so we're excited to be a worship with them. Today we're in Isaiah 7. Uh, we're on page 572 in the Pew Bibles. Feel free to grab one of those and use that while we and follow along. But we're in a new series called A Weary World Rejoices. And the whole theme of this series is that the coming of the promised Messiah, Jesus, is good news for a worn-out world. So if you're here today, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're restless, you're worn out. If you have friends who are tired, exhausted, restless, and worn out, or neighbors, or co-workers, or even your enemies, this is a series for you. Tired, restless, worn out. Jesus' is coming is good news for you. I recently have started to uh, teach my kids about investing their money. I figured they should start because dad was very poor at starting such a thing. So it'd be good for them to start with the little money they have as they learn how to invest money over time. They can add more, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I started to explain to them that when you're, they're investing money at their age, they're really playing the long game, right? If they're like 70 years old, like that's not the long game. You don't do the high risk, high reward type of stocks. You really want to invest now for the long run, I'm telling them. Play the long game. So when you see the money from your stocks going up, you shouldn't get really excited. And if you see them go down, which many of our stocks are going down right now, you shouldn't freak out because you're playing the long game. That's how stocks work. And I said to them, but if you jump for this like quick financial fix, you're never going to watch your investments grow. But it's so tempting for all of us to jump for these quick fixes. But many of us find, though, that when we jump for quick fixes, they can be destructive, and they rarely, they rarely work in the short term, but they definitely don't work in the long term. And what we'll see from the passage today, what I want you to take away today, is that the coming of Jesus reveals that destruction comes with quick fixes. And, but also the coming of Jesus brings restoration to those who patiently put their faith in him. The coming of Jesus reveals destruction that comes with jumping the quick fixes, and it brings restoration to those who patiently put their faith in him. And so I want to talk about destruction that comes with quick fixes, and I want to talk about restoration that comes with faith. And I, my challenge to you, my question for you that I put before you is, which one are you running toward? So we start in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. What's happening in Isaiah 7? Well, if you rewind the game tape of Israel's history, Israel used to be one kingdom. Now they've been divided into two kingdoms. 
The northern kingdom is called Israel. They retain the name Israel, but the southern kingdom is called Judah. And there's this king Ahaz, who's the 12th king of the southern kingdom. So it's been some time since the split. He's this, he is the king of Judah, the 12th king of Judah. And what we know from history is that he is considered by the Bible in history as an evil king. And he's actually contrasted to his son Hezekiah, who's a righteous king. And one of the things that Ahaz did, which was particularly evil in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of the scriptures, is that he shut down worship to Yahweh in Judah. And he set up altars to pagan gods. And so when we start to see here, a few years into Ahaz's reign, around 733 B.C., 732 B.C., is when Isaiah 7 happens. See, Barry Webb in his commentary, he says that a resurgent Assyria under Tiglath, Pileazar III, you know the name you chose for your children. Uh, I'm going to call him King TP3 for short. King TP3 had begun to push west and south into Palestine. And so what happens is the kings of Israel and the northern kingdom and Syria, not Assyria, Syria, have formed this anti-Assyrian pact. And you're, like, your world history teacher is really excited that I I'm going through this with you right now. And they're determined, what they're determined to do is actually force Judah to join by deposing of Ahaz and installing a puppet king in his place. So Ahaz feels like he's stuck in this rock, in this, between this rock and a hard place. He sees only these two options. Either he gives into the pressure of Israel and Syria, and he loses political power, or he joins up with the Assyrians to fight against Israel and Syria and keep some political power. And what Ahaz is doing is Ahaz, what he'll end up doing is he'll pick this quick fix and decide to join Assyria. And up to this point in Isaiah, what Isaiah the prophet's been doing, he's been preaching to Ahaz, to the people of Judah, to have faith in God. Isaiah's basically coming here and he's saying... You don't have to pick one of those two things. There's a third way. And the third way is that you put your faith in God. God will rescue you. Just wait on him. So in the verses, the verse right before we read verse 10, in verse 9, Isaiah says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. See, his challenge is Ahaz, have faith be part of this faithful remnant who put their trust in God, which this remnant is kind of built around Isaiah and his prophecies from God. Isaiah say, Ahaz, you don't have to pick one of these options. There's a third way, put your faith and trust in God. So in verse 11, Isaiah comes to him, he says, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. God gives Ahaz a chance to ask for anything. It could be even supernatural. As high as heaven and as low as hell, essentially saying, anything you want, Ahaz, I'll give it to you as a sign to show that I have your back. Just put your faith and trust in me. Don't join forces with Assyria. Have faith in God. But Ahaz is stubborn. And he refuses a sign from God. So in verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So Isaiah responds in verse 13. And he said, that's Isaiah. Hear then, O house of David, 
Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah is saying, not only have you worn out your own people with your stubbornness, Ahaz, you're now starting to wear out God. And he says, fine, fine. You won't ask for a sign to prove God has your back, to prove God's faithfulness to his people. You won't show faith, fine. God will give you a sign anyway. And verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The interpretation here in Isaiah is actually difficult. Virgin here in Isaiah 7 really probably just means young woman. And a young woman will bear a son and she will hit, that son's name will be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So this young woman is Isaiah's wife most likely and the son is Isaiah's son and his son, which is coming, will be a sign of God's presence. See, God's presence, what one commentator says, among his people was a very important theological symbol for God's people. You think about the presence of Yahweh when Yahweh's in First Kings, Yahweh's presence enters the temple that Solomon built. And the people's sinfulness, though, puts that privilege in jeopardy. But listen to this. The sign of Emmanuel should remind Ahaz that, at least for now, God's presence remains with his people. Isaiah's son will be a sign that God has not abandoned Judah, particularly this faithful remnant who put their faith in God. See, despite Isaiah's challenge to put, for Ahaz to put his faith in God, Ahaz jumps for these quick fixes. He jumps for the quick fix of giving loyalty to Assyria. And, and Isaiah says, this will just bring destruction. In verse 17, we look at destruction. He says, The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed Judah, the king of Assyria. See, destruction comes with the quick fix. I don't know if you've ever seen the series Stranger Things on Netflix, but there's one part, I'm not going to really ruin much of anything, it's not really a spoiler alert, but fine, whatever, roll with it. If you, it's like season two, so if you haven't seen it by now, sorry. But, it, but Dustin, one of the, the kids in the show, actually he finds this weird creature, and this weird creature he decides to take in as his pet, and he keeps this pet in his room, and he doesn't tell anyone. Well, what happens is this pet starts to grow larger and larger and larger, and like one day they like can't find the family cat anymore. And this pet ends up becoming a monster who tries to kill Dustin and his friends and everybody else in their town. See, Dustin put his faith in something that would eventually destroy him. He brought something into his home, into his life, that would eventually destroy him. 
And quick fixes are these things we hastily put our trust in that we bring into our lives that will eventually destroy us. See, Ahaz's quick fix will eventually destroy him and Judah. And what we know from the Bible and history is that Israel and, and Syria eventually invade and they do a lot of damage to Judah. And then the king of Assyria comes to rescue and he invades Syria. So what Ahaz does is he goes into the temple, into his palace, and into his nobles' treasures, and he pays off the king of Assyria, TP3, to protect him. But it ends up not being enough. And we see that in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. All it did was buy him time. But it still failed in the end. And then God uses Assyria, listen, he then uses Assyria to judge Ahaz and Judah for their lack of faith in him and jumping for the quick fix. See, God in his power and his control over all things, verse 18 says, he whistles and the bee of Assyria comes. Like, just stop a second and think about that. How powerful is God where he whistles and empires come? That he uses empires to actually move the course of history forward. And then God says he's going to use the one Ahaz, this hired beyond the river, with gifts from his, who Ahaz hired with these gifts from the temple, the palace, and his nobles. And then King TP3, he comes in, and he humiliates the men of Judah by shaving all the hair off their bodies. That's what verse 20 says. And he kills, and he takes so much livestock that Judah has to survive on curds and honey. Verse 20. And where Judah used to be a place of God's provision, it's now filled with briars and thorns. All because Ahaz didn't put his faith in God and jumped for the quick fix. Quick fixes will eventually, ultimately, destroy you. Destroy me. Doesn't matter how great they seem. They will eventually exhaust you and devour you. My dad is a strategic planner. He's actually has helped us think about strategy here at our church, but one thing he has done is led organizations through change. And since I've been a little kid, he's talked to me about the change curve. So let's go back to Evan in middle school. You pretend to not be as annoyed about the change curve as I was, but I'm going to put up the change curve on the screen. And the change curve is like any organization when it, they make a change, there's shock, denial, frustration, and depression, right? There's this valley of despair, right? Everybody loves the valley of despair, right? You change the name of your church or your organization or you're doing this new policy, right? If you're a su supervisor, you may know this. That people get shocked, they go into denial, then all of a sudden they're frustrated and then they start getting angry and there's fear, there's resistance and doubt. But if you eventually ride the wave of the curve, you'll be able to celebrate at the end integrating those changes, how they've been brought to your organization. But you have to ride the wave of the curve. But what happens is so many leaders, so many members of organizations quit down in the valley of despair. They give up. So one person complains about a change that has been made. Or two people, or three people, and we go, oh, oh we, can, we can't do this change anymore. We quit, we bounce, we get out, and we do these quick fixes. 
And when you do that, though, you never get to experience the joy and celebration of the changes that could be brought to your organization. See, God is asking each of us to do something similar. He's asking us to make changes, to trust in him, and we have to ride the wave of the curve. And when we ride the wave of the curve, eventually changes come and we can celebrate the changes and the victory that God has given us. And you might be skeptical of this, right? You're like, oh, this is business stuff. But let me just ask you, like, isn't, isn't everything that's worth doing take time and patience and a little bit of pain to do? Like, you think, like, raising up children doesn't require some of this? You're like, oh, gosh, we're pregnant. Okay, it's not going to be that bad. Like, I got this, you know? Right? Oh, boy. Uh... I didn't realize I had to change diapers more than one time a day. Nobody taught me for that. Maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I was a little too young to have kids. Oh, boy, this is really not working out well. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you start potty training ki- your kids, and that potty training is definitely when you hit the valley of despair. <laughs> but like what we like to say at our house, well, I'm sure our kids will be potty trained by the time they go to college. Right? We have to think about the long game. Right? We have to ride the wave. So you're not going to see results from exercise after the first day, or so I've been told. You can't have resurrection without death. God tells us to change our mindset about our needs, and he says, I'll supply all of your needs, and everything you could ever want is found in me, but we can't wait for that. We hit the valley of despair. We try, oh, this is a, hey, it's not going to be that bad to wait on God, be patient, no big deal. We'll chill, yeah. But boom, it hits, valley of despair, and we go, oh, well, can't wait for that, so we jump for the quick fix, and we buy things we don't need or can't afford. Or God says that sex is designed for marriage between a man and a woman, but we can't wait for that. What if that never comes? So we jump to pornography or sleeping around or sex outside of that design. God says that Jesus will be our king and his kingdom will have no end. But we can't wait for that. So we jump for quick fixes of earthly politicians, earthly kings, and their temporary kingdoms, their agendas. God tells us that there's only one Holy Spirit for your friends and your family, but we can't wait for the Holy Spirit to do the work in my friend's life or my family's life or my spouse's life. So we jump to believing that everyone needs to hear our two cents, Facebook, in person, anytime we get a chance. People need to hear our advice if they're going to have a fulfilled life. Jesus says he's come to give us life and life to its fullest, but we can't wait for that with our kids. So we got to live our, our kids' lives for them. We jump to this quick fix and we end up manipulating to get what we would have wanted if we were them. Like, I didn't make the varsity soccer team and I wasn't the top scorer, but my kid... Like, I know they sat the bench all the way through, like, until 12th grade, but now's the time. College is coming. When we rely on quick fixes, we'll end up being devoured by the very things we've turned to instead of putting our faith in God. So you buy enough things that you can't afford, you fall into extreme debt, 
You go to college, you can't afford. You fall into student loans, you'll never be able to pay off. You, you, you get in the credit card debt, you're never going to be able to, be pay, to pay off. And then what happens is you notice, like, you say something like, I've said to myself sometimes, like, I know we make money, but I don't know where that money is. And then I look at my bank account, and I look at my budget, and I go, oh my gosh, so much of my money goes to debt because I bought things that I couldn't afford. So you learn about sexual intimacy with someone other than your spouse. You'll learn unhealthy expectations, and you'll, learn, you'll never learn to be truly vulnerable with someone because you're not giving all of your life to that person in marriage, but you're giving only part of your life, your sexuality to them. And so you actually be, end up being devoured by living with certain experiences that have brought shame and guilt. So you jump for politicians and earthly kingdoms, You'll never see how you're being manipulated for your vote. You'll follow agendas that have expiration dates of two, four, or God forbid, eight years. And you'll act like every election is a crisis and that it's the most important election in our lifetimes. Until four years later, surprise, it's the most important election in our lifetimes. And you'll be devoured by living a life where the ends have to justify the means and that mindset, that mindset of ends justify the means will lead you into some very, very dark places. You jump to being the Holy Spirit for someone else, you'll be devoured by control. You jump to living your kids' lives for them, you'll be devoured by exhaustion. See, Barry Webb says, whatever we rely on instead of trusting in God will eventually turn and devour us. Quick fixes can never fix the thing that is most broken in us. They can always, they can change the outside, but they'll never actually fix our hearts, and they can't do anything about the sinfulness in our hearts that's driving us to run after these quick fixes time and time again. See, the quick fix by Ahab, he would throw Judah into 700 years of turmoil and oppression. So it's first it's the Assyrians, then it's the Babylonians, the Greeks, and then it's the Romans. And more often than not, the people of Judah and Israel, they're quick to turn to more quick fixes. Like once you're sold into quick fixes, that's all you're going to choose. That's going to be the only thing you ever pull out of your pocket. And so what happens is some of them turn to revolution. And they're devoured by exile, torture, and death. Some of them turn to earn God's favor by being extra diligent in the law of Moses and then adding some more on top of that. And those people are devoured by legalism. And some of them turned to being puppets of their oppressors. And they're devoured by this unquenchable thirst for power. All devoured by the quick fix fixing the outside and never fixing the sinfulness of our hearts. So what happens? What does God do? God himself steps into the mess to fix our hearts, to fix the things that drive us to forego faith in him and jump for quick fixes. The coming of Jesus brings restoration. So in Matthew 1, verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
He will bear his son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. What? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Restoration? The restoration you're looking for? It's not going to come with a quick fix. It's going to come by putting your faith in Jesus. See, virgin in Isaiah 7 may be difficult to translate and might mean young woman, but that's not how Matthew uses it. Here, he actually changes it up. There's other words for young women, but Matthew actually uses the Greek word that means virgin. So supernaturally, through the Holy Spirit, Mary, who's never slept with a man, conceives and in her is God himself, God the Son, Jesus. And Jesus is not a sign, but Jesus is the sign. He takes on human flesh, even though we're stubborn, we're given Jesus. Like, have you ever thought about how crazy that is? Like, God knows you more than you know yourself, and he said, I'm going to step into your mess. He knows how stubborn we are, and he gives us himself Jesus is the sign that God has not abandoned us. Jesus is the sign that God has not abandoned your family. Jesus is the sign that God has not abandoned your friends or your co-workers or your neighbors you can't stand. Jesus is the sign that God has not abandoned our world. And Jesus is not only the sign of God with us, but he's also the one who can restore what's broken about us. He will save his people from their sins. And he is the greater prophet who raises up a new faithful remnant in the church. And the church calls the world and often even the church itself to put their faith in God. But the coming of Jesus took patience. It took riding the wave of the curve. It took trust. It took faith. And during Advent, we're reminded of how this will take patience again. This will require that we reject jumping for quick fixes that ultimately devour and destroy us. This will take trust. It will take faith. And this will restore us and our world. See, in the first coming of Jesus, Christ came to offer us salvation for our sins. And all who put their faith and trust in Jesus are forgiven their sins gives us the Holy Spirit to remind us that God is with us right now. All of the blessings out of God with us, of Emmanuel, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you live it out day and in and day out as God is with us, in us. And one day he'll come again to restore us and our world and God will be with us forever. So to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, Behold, John says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Yesterday I went to an ice skating party with my boys to their cousin's party. And for my youngest son, my younger son, 
It was his first time. So I, I prepared him. I said, look, like, you're going to fall a lot. And when you fall, it's going to hurt. Because, like, you know, ice is hard. But I'll hold your hands and I'll help you up. But if you keep going, listen, I looked in my eyes. If you keep going, by the time this party's over, you'll be skating around this whole thing by yourself. And it was tough. He fell a bunch. Some tears were shed. Dad lost some patience. Because there was a lot of crying because, you know, ice is hard. But by the end, he was proud of himself because he skated around the whole ring three times without holding my hand. And we were able to celebrate that together. Life is hard. You're going to fall a lot. And you know what? It's going to hurt. It's going to require patience. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he holds your hand, he pulls you up, and he celebrates the victory that comes in the end. He rides the wave with you. See, when things get difficult or challenging, you won't be devoured by quick fixes if you put your faith in Jesus. But you also won't be dismissive of the difficulty. See, Jesus' coming is acknowledgement that the world is broken. That you and I are broken, broken, and we need fixing. Ice is hard. Falling hurts. Life is hard. Falling hurts. But you also... See, you'll be able to acknowledge, but you won't be dismissive, but you also won't freak out about your circumstances. Jesus' coming reminds us that God doesn't always act as fast as we like. 700 years between when Isaiah made this prophecy and Jesus came. 700 years. All of us would be dead by that time. But if you know what's coming in the end is going to be better you'll wait for it. Like, you could eat a turkey sandwich on Thanksgiving, but won't the feast be better? But if you quit now, if you jump for the quick fix now, you'll never ride the wave of the curve, and you'll never be able to celebrate all that God has done in your life. If you've been part of our church for a long time now, if you've been with us before the lockdowns, it's been tough getting to this point, hasn't it? People have gone and left when we were at the bottom of the curve. And I truly believe we're on the other side. We're starting to move up the curve. And at some point, I want you to do this. I want, don't want you to do this now because people start getting weirded out by it. But someday, on some Sunday, look around at, at Sunday morning worship and at your home meeting and say, isn't our church more beautiful now? Isn't it healthier now? Isn't it better than it's ever been because these new people are here who joined later? So you can't have resurrection without death, but many of us want resurrection and think we can escape the suffering, pain, and death that's required of us to get us there. But we can't jump for the quick fixes. Everything that's worth doing is hard. It takes time, even church planning. So when it comes to something like politics, don't freak out about presidents 
or policies or agendas. See the bigger picture, the greater king, the greater kingdom that's coming. When it comes to COVID, don't be dismissive of new variants. But don't be devoured by the anxiety that can come from them either. See, too many Christians, we're dismissive or we get devoured. We don't see the third way, which is the long game. Health and safety protocols are good. Sickness and death and viruses happen because our world is broken. Revelation 21 hasn't happened yet. It's part of life until Jesus wipes it away. Or if you're suffering illness or mental or emotional pain, don't dismiss it. Acknowledge it. Jesus coming acknowledges that you're broken. It's okay. You've been outed. We know. Seek help that you need. Don't be devoured or destroyed by it. But one day, everything, including your body and your mind, will be restored by Jesus. And so if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you truly, truly, truly trust in him, realize you're playing the long game. It's all going to work out, maybe in this life, maybe, but definitely in the next. And you know how the story ends. You've been told. It's been prophesied and it's been told. So you just have to trust and wait. I don't like waiting. I'm sure you don't either. But don't run the quick fixes. That will only lead you to be devoured to lead you to destruction, but put your faith in God and Jesus and wait on Him. And I promise you, you'll experience the restoration you're looking for. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're often jumping for quick fixes, I just want to give you a moment to silently just ask Jesus to forgive you and that you would trust him. And when you do that, Jesus promises that he forgives you and he gives you the Holy Spirit that will help you trust him. But we pray, Father, like for the rest of us who have put our faith and trust in you, that we actually would live it out. That we wouldn't jump for quick fixes, that we would ride the wave but that we'd be comforted in the fact that you ride it with us and you hold our hand and you pick us up. Restore us, O Lord. Restore us, as the Hebrew Scriptures say. So often we say, how long, O Lord, as the Hebrew Scriptures say. But we look forward to Revelation 21 happening day sooner than later, Lord, we ask. Come, Lord Jesus. But now, Lord, may we just trust you and be restored by that trust and that faith because it's in you and not quick fixes or in ourselves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.